Good morning. I invite you to take a Bible and open up to the book of Ruth. It's a little book in the Old Testament sandwiched between the books of Judges and 1 Samuel. And it's a book that actually links those two books together. Um, and we're going to be working through a new series through this book. Uh, and so uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, you can help yourself to one in the racks there. And if you don't own your Bible, own a Bible of your own, uh, we'd invite you to take that home, make it yours. We want everybody to have a copy of God's Word. So we're going to start right at the beginning, Ruth, Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, that would be the land of Israel, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife Naomi, and the name of his two sons were Machlon and Kilion. They were Ephratites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went to the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Machlon and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord, that's when you see it in all caps like that, that's the name Yahweh, the true God, the God of Israel, the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord, may Yahweh deal kindly with you as you have de dealt with the dead and with me. Yahweh grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband, meaning a new husband, that they would each get remarried. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord, the hand of Yahweh, has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, Naomi said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, 
Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord, may Yahweh, the true God, the God of Israel, do so to me. And more also, if anything but death parts you, me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. Small town. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi. The word Naomi means pleasant. Call me Mara. That word means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord, Yahweh, has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi, when Yahweh has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. So that's how the book begins. Book of Ruth, which we get to explore together, Lord willing, over the next six weeks or so. I've titled the series Extraordinary, and I think that needs a little explanation, because this book is full of very ordinary things. Things like families, people getting married, having children, trying to make a living during hard times. It's about things like friendship. It's about difficult situations. It's about love. It's about babies being born and people dying. This book is about the stuff of everyday life. And there are no miracles in this book. There are no burning bushes. No crossing of the Red Sea. No water being turned into wine. And there are no prophets. No prophets coming and speaking words either of judgment or of hope. There are no miraculous deliverances. There are no angelic messengers bringing a word from the Lord. In fact, even though God is spoken about several times, We've seen that already. He himself never speaks. He never acts directly, at least in no way that we are told. All right, so if it's full of all this ordinary stuff, and there's no big miracles, no uh, supernatural interventions, no word from the Lord, so to speak, why call it extraordinary? What's so extraordinary about it? What's extraordinary is what God is able to accomplish through all this ordinary stuff. Even though he never speaks, even though he never performs a miracle, he is everywhere in this book. It's as though his fingerprints, so to speak, are over the entire story. 
as he works through ordinary things to accomplish extraordinary results. Let me just summarize the rest of the story in case you don't know it. Spoiler alert, I'm going to tell you what happens. Sorry, well, not really, but <clears throat> here's, here's what happens. So you got these two widows, Naomi and Ruth, her daughter-in-law, and they're in desperate need when they come to the land of Israel. Uh, to be a widow at this period in history, in this place, was the very uh, epitome of desperation. And Ruth is not an Israelite. She's a foreigner. She's from the, the people of Moab. And Moab and Israel, there was a lot of bad blood between these two nations. But Ruth is determined She's going to provide for herself, and she's going to provide for her mother-in-law. So she goes out gleaning. Now, if you don't know what gleaning is, that was a provision that God had put in his law, the Torah, for his people, the Israelites. And gleaning means that when the harvesters would go through a field or through an orchard, they could only go through once. They couldn't go back and you know, pick up whatever they missed. That was to be left for the poor that they would go out and pick up the leftovers. So Ruth goes out to do that, and she just so happens to end up in the field of a guy named Boaz. Boaz just happens to be one of Naomi's relatives. He also happens to be an eligible bachelor. He also happens to be one of the richest, nicest guys around. And Naomi, like any good Jewish mother, sees what's going on and says, well, let's, let's make a plan. Let's do something here. So she gives Ruth some motherly advice. And after some very interesting plot developments, which we'll get to later, Boaz and Ruth get married and they have a son. And the hard times that the book starts with give way to rejoicing at the end. And if you didn't know any better, you would think you were reading the script for a Hallmark Channel romance. A mother and a daughter-in-law who have both loved and lost have to depend on each other, these strong, resourceful women to survive. Then one day the daughter meets a man who's successful yet sensitive. <laughs> and mom and daughter scheme to win this man's heart. But wait! There's another man in the picture who can mess up the whole thing. And so we have to wait anxiously to see if true love will prevail. And it does, of course. And it ends with a marriage and the birth of a baby boy, and they all live happily ever after. Wouldn't that make a great chick flick? <laughs> but if that's all we see, if that's all we see, we are going to miss what God means for this book to teach us, especially about Him. 
Because even though the story is full of ordinary, everyday stuff, it's ultimately a story about God and His amazing ability to work through ordinary stuff to accomplish extraordinary results. If you're here today as a believer in Jesus, and if you're not, I'm really glad you're here. I'm glad you're checking it out. I'm glad you're hearing from the Word of God. And my prayer for you would be that you would hear something that would make you even more interested and more desirous to learn about what it means to be a believer in Jesus. But if you are a believer here today, well, then you probably know from the Bible that God has good plans for you. And you know that there are important things He wants you to do. Cindy reminded us of our purpose as a church to connect people to God, the God who made them, to friends who help them, and to a world that needs them. That's a big purpose. That's important things God wants us to accomplish with our lives. And yet, so much of life seems so ordinary, boring, routine, tedious, things like going to school again, going to work again, going to the store again, making meal after meal, eating meal after meal, taking out the trash, changing diapers, doing homework. And you can look at all that and you just think, where is God in all of this? Is He even at work here? And the answer to the book of Ruth is, you better believe it. Yes, He's at work. But you might not notice. You might not notice. You might not see it. Well, why not? Why wouldn't we see God working? A couple of reasons. For one thing, we are prone to miss, to overlook the providence of God in meeting our daily needs. I think we're prone to believe that if God were to show up and do something, we'd be sure to notice. Because it would be obvious. We, we think of God when He works of, you know, doing something dramatic. Something miraculous. But actually, most of the time, what God does is not miraculous. It's providential. And what do I mean by that? A miracle is when God acts directly. And He overrules the natural laws that He Himself established. And uh, He overrules them and He does something supernatural. That means above or beyond the natural. Providence on the other hand, is when God works indirectly through His natural laws. I'll give you some examples here in just a minute. 
But the thing we need to remember, the thing we have got to get straight, is that God working providentially, His providential works are just as much a work of God as a miracle. Just as much a work of God, just different. His works of providence are slower. They're far less obvious, but they are still God at work. It's God working through the ordinary stuff of life to accomplish His purposes. And that's what this book is all about. So, for example, go uh, back to verse 6, and it says, Then Naomi arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord, Yahweh, had visited His people and given them food. God had visited His people and given them food. So they go, and they come back to the land of Judah. They come to the town of Bethlehem, and what do they find? Do they find wagons driven by angels come down from heaven with loads of pita bread and hummus and vegetables? Nope. Verse 22 says, they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Doesn't that sound mundane? But do you have any idea how excited those people would be after years of famine? that now the fields are full of grain waiting to be harvested. Yes, God visited His people. Yes, God gave them food, but they had to go out and get it. There was now an abundance of grain waiting to be harvested. Okay, so where did that grain come from? You say, well, the farmers who sowed the seed. Right. Where did the seed come from? And where did the soil come from? And at this point, Especially, where did the rain come from and the sunshine? And what about that genetic information contained in every seed that tells it to grow up and produce grain? Where did that come from? When this book says the Lord gave his people food, it means the Lord gave his people food. The fact that he did it indirectly through creation instead of directly through a miracle does not make it any less a work of God that he accomplished. Look at Psalm 104. It says it very clearly. He, the Lord, Yahweh, he waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The land is satisfied by the fruit of His work. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth, wine that gladdens human hearts, oil to make their faces shine, bread that sustains their hearts. You know, when Jesus goes to a wedding in the New Testament in the town of Cana, and He turns water into wine instantaneously, that's a miracle. But that's not how God usually makes wine. Usually, water gets absorbed by grapevines, and it produces fruit, and the fruit is then harvested, 
and then it's squeezed, and the juice is put into vats or bottles or something, and it ferments. The growing and fermenting of grapes is not a miracle, but it is a work of God. It's a providential thing. When Jesus is out on a boat with his disciples on the Sea of Galilee and a terrific storm comes up and he speaks to the wind and the waves and the storm immediately ceases, that's a miracle. Here in the Northwest, during the long winter months, after weeks and weeks and weeks of rain, the sun finally comes out. Oh, it feels like a miracle. But it's not. But it's still a work of God. It's still a work of God. And it's a work of God for which we ought to thank Him. And see, that is the, that is the problem with overlooking His providential work. We overlook it that leads to a lack of gratitude for the many good things that God does for us every single day. Now, don't answer out loud. Just take a little quiz, though. When you got up this morning, did you thank God for the air that you had to breathe? Did you thank Him for the strength to get, get out of bed? For water to drink or coffee food to eat, for internal organs that will convert that food into energy and give you another day of life? Do you know that all of those things happened to you because God was at work in and through them giving you life? He was being good to you. He's good to us even when we don't remember to thank Him. And in some ways, some ways I think God's works of providence are even more amazing than His miracles. Now, miracles are amazing, okay? I'm not, I'm not saying anything against that. But when God works providentially, not only does He work through natural laws and forces like gravity and, you know, chemical reactions and things. He also works through the real choices of real people. Think about that. This is so mysterious to me. I mean, in this story, there are all these human decisions that ultimately lead to the marriage of Boaz and Ruth and the birth of their baby boy, who just so happens to turn out to be the grandfather of King David. Israel's greatest king and the ancestor, the forerunner of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Now, just think about that. God worked through countless natural processes. You realize every time a baby is conceived and develops in a womb and is born, you know, that is so amazing. We, we are prone to call it a miracle. It's not. It's the natural process God established. It's incredible. But you think about all of these natural processes and the human decisions. Hey, would you marry me? Uh, okay. Yeah, those of you who are married, 
Was, did God send an angelic messenger to you? Did he stand there and say, that's the one? No. Human decisions. All kinds of them. And he worked through all of that to provide a king for Israel and a savior for the world. It's staggering. It's, it's all, how did he do that? I mean, it's all ordinary stuff, and yet God was working in that ordinary stuff to do really big stuff. So this book is telling us, don't miss it, people. Don't miss it. Don't miss God being at work and God doing good to you through the ordinary, mundane, everyday stuff of life. When you go to the grocery store and you fill it up with groceries, realize that the Lord is meeting your needs. Don't miss His providence. Don't miss it. But there's another reason we can miss seeing God at work in our ordinary stuff, and that is because we're prone to miss His mercy in hardship, hard times. And see, hardships are also very ordinary things. Everyday things. And they happen to everyone sooner or later. And some of our hardships are of our own making. A result of our bad choices. Uh, Maybe you didn't catch it. You very likely may not have. But in the very first part of this chapter, what Elimelech, Naomi's husband does in response to the famine is an act of unbelief. Because at this point in history, to leave the promised land, the land that God had promised to the Israelites, to leave the people of God, that was a refusal to trust the promises of God. So that was a bad decision. And it ends up leading to very, very great hardship for his wife. Because when we make bad decisions, they don't just affect us, they affect the people who love us. And yet even in this hardship, God shows mercy to Naomi. This is what's so extraordinary. Do you realize that if her husband had lived, if her sons had lived, Naomi might never have returned to the promised land. And that means that Ruth might never have come to the promised land as a believer in Yahweh, the true God, and Ruth and Boaz would not have met. They would not have married. They would not have become the great-great-grandparents of King David and the great-great-great-great-great-great, I don't know how many Grandparents of Jesus, the Messiah? So Romans 8.28, many of you are probably familiar familiar with it. It's a favorite promise for believers in Jesus. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. So that's saying if you say yes to Jesus, to his invitation to receive eternal life, to receive His forgiveness, to receive His leadership in your life, you can know that God is at work in all 
all things to bring about your ultimate good. That can be really hard to believe sometimes. Naomi, she lost her husband. She lost her two sons. I mean, try to, try to feel the impact of that, how utterly devastating that was. And it would not have been a good time then to go up to her and say, hey, do you know that God is working all things for your good? That would have been poor timing, but it would have been true. I don't think she would have believed you. I don't think she would have believed at that moment. In fact, I know she didn't because she said the hand of Yahweh is against me. It wasn't. He was working for her good. She couldn't see it. And we'll see this more and more as the book goes along. But God's heart toward Naomi was full of compassion and mercy for her. So what I want to finish with is turning that around for us and asking, how can you and I recognize, see, and experience God's compassion, His mercy, when we have hard times. thought that felt appropriate. Because I see a few lessons here for us. First, to experience His mercy and hardship. If you're away from God, hear His call to come home. For Naomi, that literally meant going to a place. For us, geography isn't the issue. For us, coming home to God means responding to that gracious invitation in the person of Jesus to put your trust in Him, to get connected to His people, to get connected to His plan for your life. If you've been living away from God, the hardships that you experience are very likely... His mercy inviting you to come home. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Come to me, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Hear his call to come home. Second, appreciate the grace you can see. Appreciate the grace you can see. Because even in the hardest times, God is doing good, even to people who don't trust him. This is remarkable. Matthew 5.45, Jesus says, Your Father in heaven causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. By the way, do you see the providence of God there? You see it? Why does the sun shine? And those of you who are science geeks will say, whoa, it's fusion fueled by hydrogen or something. Yeah, it is. Why? Why does that work? Why does the sun shine? Because God causes it to shine. When it rains... 
Why does it rain? He sends it. That's what our Savior tells us. Even when things are terrible, even when things are terrible, we still experience goodness that we do not earn, that we do not deserve. Air to breathe, food to eat, flowers to look at, music, the love of family and friends. If you can see today, that is a gift. If you can hear, that is a gift. If you can eat and drink, that's a gift. If you can walk, that's a gift. So look. Look for the grace you are experiencing right now. Thank God for it. Third, let people love you. Let people love you. It is so common, it is so common when we're hurting to to want to isolate ourselves, to sort of shut everybody out. You can see Naomi doing that here, can't you? I mean, she is grieving. She is just, I mean, life has completely fallen apart. What she do, say to those who are closest to her, go back, go back. All she wants to do is go back to her homeland, find a rock and crawl under it. Ruth won't hear of it. She says, I'm not leaving. She's determined. She is determined to love Naomi no matter what. Ruth was a gift of God's mercy to Naomi. Well, we can be that gift to one another in hard times. Galatians 6.2 Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ is love one another as I have loved you. Bear one another's burdens. Here's the thing. You can only bear somebody's burden if they share that burden. Burdens have to be shared in order to be born. And then fourth, to experience God's mercy and hardship. Remember, you're in the middle of a story with a happy ending if you belong to Jesus. If you belong to Him, no matter what is going on today, no matter how hard it is, no matter how bad things are, you belong to Him, your best days are still coming. They're still ahead of you. Romans 8.18 The sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. (laughs) We will live happily ever after. Now, Naomi, at this point in her life, at this point in her story, she had no idea of what good things God had in store for her. And really, you and I don't either. You don't know what good things God's going to do in you. What good things God's going to do through you. Because you're still in the middle of your story. Don't conclude. Don't look what's going on and conclude that your story is a tragedy with a terrible ending. Because your story isn't finished yet. It's not done. And in Jesus, God has promised you a glorious ending. He will bring it about. He is working to bring it about in thousands and thousands of ways that you and I can't even see. 
And he may be doing things in other people's lives through what's happening in your life. And you can't see the connection. You don't see like, wow, this just seems utterly pointless. He's still writing your story. And he's going to bring about something extraordinary through lots of ordinary things. So let's learn not to despise the ordinary, the mundane, the boring, the routine. Because God is at work. He's going to do something extraordinary. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this book. Thank you that it's fun to read. It's, it's interesting. It's, it's got a plot that hooks us. But Lord, it's, it's a true story. And it shows us your incredible, powerful, amazing hand to work all things together for the good of those who love you, of those you've called. So Lord, will you use this book to teach us to teach us to look and to see your hand and to be grateful for the many, many good things you give us that we don't earn. Will you help us be people who truly can experience your mercy and share it with others? Help us look at what we often overlook. And Father, I would pray that if there's anyone here who has yet to say yes to the gift of life in your Son, that today would be a day of them moving toward you, hearing your call to come home, hearing your call in Jesus saying, trust me, receive me, and I will do extraordinary things for you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.